Well, we continue once again this morning in our work through the Gospel of John, and we are up to chapter 15, where we will read the entirety of chapter 15 into the first few verses of chapter 16. The words will be on the screen behind me, or if you'd like to follow along, you can do so by turning in your pew Bibles to page 1071. As I will mention, we are continuing in that scene of Jesus with his disciples in the upper room in the last days, uh, and in fact, last hours before he is going to the cross. And Jesus continues to speak to them when he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But this, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If you had known, if, you, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. 
If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when... Their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, having grown up in the Chicago area, I've now lived in California for over 18 years of my life. And through that time, I've learned to describe what grows on the trees around here as almonds. And instead of ordering a pop in a restaurant, I order soda now and have trained myself to do that. Every once in a while, I'll still get someone in public or a stranger I'm talking to that will ask, where are you from? Because that Chicago accent will pop out a little bit and, and it'll start to show itself just a bit. My wife teases me. She says every once in a while you can tell and hear it when I'm preaching. Her phrase that she says that catches it the most is when I say like, we get a. We get to sing a song right now, or we get to go do something, and that's where she says, that's where it comes out. But of course, as you would imagine, having been away from Chicago over 18 years, those things start to fade more and more, and I've lost my accent quite a bit. But I could tell the opposite story. I remember distinctly that uh, the first year of going to college, even though I went to a college that was in the Chicago area, that my accent was extremely strong and classmates would say like, boy, you're definitely from the Chicago area. And that was because the summer, the whole summer before I went to college, I worked at the print shop that my dad worked in. And if you spent all the time with those guys and ate lunch together with with people like Bruce Blackus and, and Dave DiMaria and Joe and Junior, There was no way that you could hang around those guys as much as I did and you don't start to pick up on their accent and the way that they talked. And and it was stronger than ever that first year of college. But that's what happens. When you hang around a group of people, when when you stay in a culture and you constantly hear the same kind of cadence of talk and and tone and and words that are used, it starts to become a part of you. and, And you take on the accent of that culture. And I couldn't help but, but think about that as I read through some of our text for this morning. Again, as I kind of alluded to at the beginning, we've been working through the Gospel of John. And as of late, the pace of John's storytelling has slowed down pretty substantially. Whereas before, the, the first three years of Jesus' ministry was covered rather quickly in, in the first uh, 12 chapters. And we would jump from event to event Over the last several chapters, we've slowed down to focus on the last few days of Jesus' life. 
In a lot of ways, it started at the time of the triumphal entry where the crowds gathered around and shouted praise to Jesus and and celebrated him as as the Savior, the one who would save them uh, that had been promised in scriptures. And yet, since then, the conversations with the disciples has become clouded with gloom. As we highlighted last week, this setting for the disciples is is full of of struggle and and emotional upheaval as Jesus starts to talk about betrayal and and about leaving them alone. And we really can't know about how it was that the crowds went in the short amount of time from celebrating Jesus to wanting to crucify him. But while the details may be not fully known, what we can say in summary was that for sure, the people started to hate Jesus because Jesus didn't play into their desires for who they wanted him to be. The crowd wanted Jesus to be their political savior and and national leader, but clearly that was not on Jesus' mind. He hadn't come to Jerusalem to obey the will of the people and to make them happy He was there to obey the will of his Father in heaven and to bring glory to his name, which meant going to the cross rather than taking on a golden crown. And into that scene of chaos and emotional upheaval after purifying the disciples, we saw last week how Jesus brought comfort to his disciples by telling them that his departure was not due to his defeat, by reminding them of his identity, by showing them how they could thrive as his people and promising that he would come back to them. Well, if the word from last week in chapter 14 was that Jesus was comforting his disciple. The word for this week is that Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. His preparation begins by continuing and building on some of the themes that Jesus has already introduced. Themes of how the disciples can thrive through their obedience to his commands and through their love for one another. And the way that Jesus develops that in chapter 15 is by introducing this illustration. This illustration of a vine and branches. The basic point of this illustration focuses on the relationship between the branches and the vine. An illustration drawn from something that they would know of because they lived seeing that kind of agricultural work all of the time. Many of them probably had their own private vineyards. And and we're blessed to be in an area where we can see exactly what Jesus was talking about. So when you think about a, a grapevine, the thing that Jesus is using for the illustration you see that the the branches are the most visible part of that plant. It's where the leaves grow and and where the fruit grows. And and that's why you plant a vineyard. You you plant a, a grape vine because you want to get that fruit to enjoy. But, as the illustration says, the branches can't do what they're supposed to do of producing that fruit If they are not strongly connected to the vine. That while it is the branches that produce the fruit. It is the vine that gives the branches the nourishment that it needs. It's drawing the nutrients from the soil and and the water that it needs. So that the branch can be what it is supposed to be. And, And just like what was said in the children's message. If you take a branch and removed it from the vine. Then of course that 
branch could not produce fruit. It would not be able to do the work that it was supposed to do. And in using that analogy, Jesus is making a pretty powerful point about the disciples and their future. Yes, as he had just finished up promising and will promise again, the Holy Spirit was coming to guide and to help and to encourage them. But if they are going to be the people that they were meant to be and to do the things that God was calling them to do, then they would have to abide in Christ. All of their identity, all of their strength, all of the direction that they needed for the lives that they were being called to live would have to come and be drawn from their relationship and with their walk with Christ if they were hoping to live a fruitful life. Now Jesus says that there had been and there will be those that don't produce fruit. And that those people would need to be cut off and gotten rid of. These are people like Judas who, as we saw a few weeks ago, had been around Jesus, had heard all of his teachings and seen many of his miracles, but never truly accepted Christ into his life. And therefore, when the trials came, he went another way. But the focus in this illustration is positive. Abide in Jesus so that you can produce the kind of faithful life that you want and that God wants from you. But that leads to the question, well, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? And while there's many answers that could be given to that, I like the summary in verse 10 where it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, we are, we are told of the importance of obeying the commandments of Christ. But let's back that up. If we're going to obey the commandments of Christ, the first step is that we have to know the commandments of Christ. And so important part of abiding in Christ is abiding in his word of knowing who he is, how he has revealed himself, and the things that he tells us that we are to live, the ways we are to live if we are to be his disciples. So abiding in Jesus starts with knowing Jesus and knowing his word. We do that through devotions. We do that through our time of worship. We do that whenever we approach him in his word so that we can know him more fully. The next step then is in putting those commandments into practice. Like the illustration of the wise man who built his house on the rock. Those that not only hear his commandments but actually practice the things that Jesus commands us to do. They are those that are abiding, dwelling, building their house on that rock. That sure foundation for their lives. And so we not only know but we do. When tempted... When we are struggling, when we don't know for direction, we go to God's word and we apply it to our lives. And that is how we abide in him. And again, all we can see that all of that basically gets summarized in that commandment to love God and to love one another. But again, just think about it like an accent. The whole idea is that the more you put yourself in the presence of Christ... The closer you draw to him, the, the more time spent in worship and study of his word and praise of his name, the more you take on his accent, the more you sound like him, 
the more you are worried about the things that he was worried about and bothered by the things that he was bothered by. And in taking on that accent, then you talk like him, you sound like him, you speak like him. And in many ways, that's the way that many commentators answer the question of the difficult challenge that put in, in verse 7. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So I ask whatever we wish. Don't we pray for a lot of things that aren't done for us? But again, many say the more we become like Christ, the more our hearts will be aligned and the things that we are praying for are the things that are being prayed according to God's will and then he will give them to us as we ask. That's the only way that we can bear fruit in this life. But again, the point of the branch is not just to be a branch. It's to produce fruit. And what is that fruit that we are supposed to be producing? And while we could point to the fruit of, of converts being made or lives being changed, the real fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. A life that is converted to walking in obedience to Christ. A life that had been in rebellion and, and living for selfish ambitions and our own desires and now has been focused on living in obedience to God. A life that is changed is the fruit that we are called to produce in this life. It's vine and branches is a great illustration, and I think it does help us to remind how we are to live the lives we are being called to live. But I think we have to confess that, that we don't do this all that well all of the time. If we build on the illustration that Jesus offers, I think the reality is that, yes, we want to abide in Jesus and draw nutrients from our relationship with him, but we like to imagine we have other vines that we can draw from. That while we're supposed to find all of our comfort in our relationship with Christ, the reality is we, we still like a vine in the comfort of financial security. And so we nurture and cultivate that vine we, we like to be accepted by the world, and so we cultivate being loved and, and liked and appreciated. And, and so we try to fit in with the world and cultivate our relationship with the world so that on the you know, easy hand that we don't stand out because our fashion doesn't fit with the world's, uh, but on the more complicated way where, where we dare not say anything to offend anybody else or bring up Jesus because they might not like the way that we are talking about him. And so... We cultivate the vine of our relationship with the world at the expense of our relationship with Christ. And that's an important part of this illustration as well. That if we are truly going to say that Jesus is the true vine, then everything about our identity needs to be drawn from him. And the more that we try to cultivate the vines that are connecting us to the world, the less likely we are to be able to truly dwell in him, to speak with his accent. So if his disciples, if we are going to be prepared for the future that lies ahead, and if we want to do, live our lives that are pleasing to Jesus, we have to draw from our connection to him. Without that connection, we can do nothing of spiritual value. We live lives that are fruitless. But with that connection, we can bear much fruit in lives that are lived 
worthy of the calling that we have received. But all of that prepares us for another side of what it means to be connected to Jesus, that Jesus is honest about and he turns to in the the second part of this passage. That when we act and look like Jesus, when we speak with his accent and the world recognize we live according to his priorities rather than the world's, well, then the world is going to treat us just like they treated Jesus. Yes, there's going to be times like at the triumphal entry where plenty of people are there and the crowds are, are celebrating and cheering them on and they're interested in, in the words of Jesus and, and seeing and experiencing the blessings of his miracles. But when it came down to it, when Jesus didn't follow their desires and their priorities for what they wanted him to be, they turned their backs on him and they were willing to dismiss him and dispose of him. And Jesus says the disciples should not be surprised and they should be prepared for the fact that when they look like he looked and act according to his priorities, speak with his accent, then the world's going to respond to them in the very same way it responded to him. Now on the positive side, it says in verse 20, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So being connected to Jesus, we can go and speak with his power and with his authority. So there is some positive here, but the emphasis is clearly in this part on the negative. If they persecuted Jesus, which they did, and which they were about to in sending him to the cross, then the disciples should be prepared to face that same kind of persecution Jesus says that there will soon be a time when people think that in order to worship God and to serve him properly, it would be to destroy the message of those that were his disciples. And that word of Jesus, that promise came true. We see it in the lives of his early disciples, Peter and Paul, who were imprisoned and they were beaten and persecuted because they dared to speak the name of Jesus and salvation through him. We see it in many of the letters of the New Testament, books like James and and 1st and 2nd Peter and Revelation, where the major theme of those books is stand firm in your faith. Despite the fact that you are facing all kinds of persecution and harassment, cling to your relationship with God and stand firm in it. Because even though they had given their lives to Jesus, instead of improving their lives, in many ways it invited more difficulty. And we see that trend continue outside of Scripture. How Jesus' words were a true warning. And how from an early on all the way back to the, the awful entertainment of the Roman Colosseum where Christians were used as, as bait for lions and for light on torches. To when they were hidden in caves, the church that bears the name of Christ has been persecuted. And that continues to this very day. That's why we have a month in prayer for the persecuted church. Because the reality is that we, while we worship today with this crowd of people celebrating with no fear, many around the world this very morning who are secretly and privately exposing themselves to God's word, who worry that their neighbors might find their Bibles, so they must be hidden, because if they are found, they could be brought before the authorities, and they will be punished, 
and harmed, not only in their livelihood, but in their very lives. There are places all around the globe where there are laws specifically designed to shut down the message and the people of Jesus Christ. And yet in those places, there are Christians who continue to live and proclaim that same message. And while I truly don't believe that Christians in America face that same persecution, and quite frankly, I worry sometimes that we sort of dishonor what it means for those people to live in a persecuted area by comparing our fairly slight levels of harassment, even if you will, to what they are facing. We can't deny that the message of Jesus and those that live in accordance with that are facing more and more opposition. And the reality is the day may come and come soon when even we will face that kind of direct persecution. And when that does come, that's where it's going to be important to answer the question, what vine is nourishing you? Where are you leaning for your comfort? Is it leaning in the vine of Jesus so that your identity and your purpose and your mission in this world is grounded in your relationship with him? Or is your security grounded in the world? I heard a, a teacher that I, I like to listen to every once in a while, a pastor, say that when persecution comes, the only thing that the world has over Christians is our love of the world. Which means that if we've cultivated our security in finances, when the world attacks us, they will attack our finances. And the question then will become, what do you love more, your security in finances or your security in Christ? And would you be willing to surrender your financial security in order to stay grounded in Christ? If our love for the world and for their applause is greater, that is where we will be attacked, we'll be isolated, we will be forced to stand out as different. And if we're not willing to stand out, well then we'll be of the world and, and we'll be welcomed by the world. But if we continue to be grounded in Christ and abide in him, then we're going to have to forsake and, and invite and welcome the harassment of the world. And that's not an easy thing to do. But that's why Jesus prepares us. We find our strength then in Christ, but reminding ourselves of who Christ was and how he lived his life. Again, on the Sunday of the week before he was killed, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he did to the applause of the crowds. They, they loved the idea that what Jesus might be able to do for them and if Jesus had his priority in their approval and in their praise, he very easily could have kept that going. He could have stirred them up and he could have gone to the throne and he, and he could have led a rebellion. But that wasn't what he was called to do. And so instead of earning the praise of the world, Jesus did what he always did. And that was to obey the will of the Father in order to bring glory to him. And so instead of receiving the accolade of the world, he went to the cross. Obviously a much, much more difficult and harder path. But he did so, again, as he says in this text, and has said throughout the whole entire book, in order to bring glory to God. 
As Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 1, I have said all these things that you will keep from falling away. Again, we have to acknowledge the reality of the fact that we live in a world that is constantly seeking to do all that it can to just pull us away from our relationship with Jesus. They don't want to be told that they're not living their right kind of lives. They, they don't want to be challenged in their walk in this world with the life that God had given them. And so they will try to force us to, to be silent, to not proclaim those things. In many cases and places, to actively try to shut down everything about Jesus Christ. When that persecution comes... When those temptations come to our life, we will struggle with where are we going to abide? Are we going to be of the people of the world? Or are we going to continue to abide in Christ? And so that we might not fall away, so that we might endure the day when persecution comes and when those challenges arise, Jesus says, abide in me. Know me. Love me prioritize your relationship with me and when you do that you will bear much fruit for i am the vine i'm the source of your strength i'm the source of the only true comfort you will ever find so abide in me speak with my accent and then you will bear much fruit yeah that might be inviting some struggles in the world but in the end you will receive the great gifts of what Jesus has given to us through his death and resurrection. Well, toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do confess that in this world that seeks to pull us away, that oftentimes we've been susceptible to that. Where we have cultivated our comfort, that we have walked away from time we should be spending with you and growing in our relationship and we've grown in our relationship with the world father again i pray for those who face the persecution that you spoke of who live in threat to their lives as they strive to abide in you and in looking and learning from their example i pray that we might be the same always faithful always serving you growing in our relationship with you, not just for our sake, but most importantly, that we would bear the fruit of lives that have been changed, of your kingdom that is being built, so that one day we would be welcomed into your eternal home. May we serve you, and may each one of us always abide in your love. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.